This is the third in our uh, mini-series on fellowship and uh, the whole thing of living life well. And we have this just this three-verse psalm, and yet it is packed with richness. Um, psalm 133 is not a bland psalm. Um, it is like a Jamie Oliver kind of full of flavor kind of recipe, um, or perhaps a, a Greg Wallace MasterChef taste explosion as you think about it. And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought of fellowship as that kind of bland, uh, superficial chat over rich tea and tepid wheat coffee. That is not what we're talking about. This is something to get your taste buds uh, ready for. And uh, I love some of Greg Wallace's quotes. I mean, he comes up with some beauties. One of them I came across, it is like a lemon has just picked you up by the ears and given you a big snog. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever eaten one of those. Uh, another one, oh mate, I tell you what, that's the sort of thing I would dip my head in. <laughs> I want to take my shirt off and dive in. Anyway, I was thinking I'm maybe bigging this psalm a little bit too much. And uh, if somebody does take their shirt off and pick you up by the ears at Life Group and give you a big snog, that may be inappropriate uh, on fellowship. But uh, Christian fellowship is nevertheless something that is precious, is something that is refreshing, and it is something that is a gift from God. So shall we take a look at some of the ingredients of it? Well, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, exclamation mark. Uh, in fact, in the original Hebrew, the exclamation mark isn't there, but they have a word that we don't have uh, in the New International Version, which is how we translate often into the word behold or look or marvel at this thing that I'm about to describe, which is probably why we have this exclamation mark. It is something that is amazing. It is good and it is pleasant when God's people come together in unity. And that is the vision. And in a broken world, in a broken nation, in a broken uh, community, that is a tall order perhaps. And yet that is the vision that God has. And so David says here that it is both good and it is pleasant. It is good, it's, it's excellent, it's beneficial for us. It has God's stamp of approval on it. But it's also pleasant. It's something that tastes good. It's something that is pleasing. It is sweet. So it's good both in God's sight, but it is actually good for us as well. And if we want to be people who live life well, then this is an important aspect uh, of our lives. And when your family get along together, then that is good. Okay, when you're on the same page in your marriage, when everybody at work is, is going in the same direction, when the church is, when the sports team is, life is so much more pleasant and enjoyable. Um, it is both good and pleasant. There are some things in this world that are good, but not so pleasant, like discipline, perhaps. Um, there are things that are pleasant, some foods that may be not that good for you. But this, it says, is both and. And so living together is both good for us and it is pleasant. And the early church were brilliant at it, to begin with anyway. Um, they, they got it wrong a little bit later on. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, tomorrow night we will be praying together and it is an expression of this, this united unity that we have and fellowship. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There is a beauty to this and the world outside should look on in and go, that is something that I want a piece of. When people live together in unity. Hebrews 13, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And he goes on, do not forget to entertain and show hospitality to strangers. 
And when the people of Israel first heard this psalm or read this psalm, they literally were brothers and sisters. They were relatives. They all had a common ancestor um, and they were all related to each other uh, ultimately. Um, today as Christians, then we come as having a common father in God. Um, and therefore we are brothers and sisters together. We may have massive differences between us. There may be cultural differences. There may be socioeconomic differences, maybe generational differences. Our backgrounds, our journeys of faith may be very different. And yet the question is, will we live in unity or will we live in division? Um, I came across this really beautiful book recently called Simply Eat. And uh, it's just a book of everyday stories of friendship, food, and faith, and there's loads to learn from it. It's actually a book about sharing faith uh, around a meal, whether that is one another uh, within a church or people outside of the church, um, in lots of different ways. And this guy, um, uh, Manoj, who kind of edits the book, was a guy who was raised as a, as a Hindu. He was a priest in the Hindu religion for 20 years. And he, the first time he came across Jesus was just at primary school. He heard something about it. He was fascinated by it, but never really impacted his life. And then just 10 years ago, when the financial crash hit, at the same time that his son became critically ill in hospital, it was a family who had welcomed him around for meals on a regular basis that began to offer to pray for them as a family. And they got other people, other Christians involved in praying for their son. And he was amazingly healed through that situation. And so that really opened them up and they continued to have conversations. They continued to come around for meals and they would explore the historical evidence of Jesus um, and such questions. And eventually he gave himself and he's now involved in a major ministry uh, across, across the UK, trying to bring uh, faith to other people. Friendship, food, and faith inextricably linked as we try to cross cultures, as we try to share faith, as we try to bring unity, and as we develop fellowship. Quality time around the table. And very often in our Western culture, we, we struggle with that. Uh, or perhaps time, the fast pace of life, we struggle with it. Sharing foods, giving and receiving hospitality one from another are profound ways of connecting with one another and honoring one another. And food was significant in Jesus's life as well. Some of the big events in Jesus's life, think of the crucifixion. We have the Last Supper. Um, the resurrection, uh, Jesus cooks breakfast for them. You know, when he comes the second time, there's a great banquet in heaven. Um, this is a key element to the ministry of Jesus, and it's something that we can apply to our own lives, whether it's our families, whether it is you and your partner just getting out for a meal, whether it is life group or community group, or how we do mission in your workplace with your colleagues, in the sports team, uh, wherever it might be. Um, as we seek as a church to reflect and to celebrate the diversity that we see across Birmingham. And I want to encourage each one of us, myself included, to invite someone round for a meal um, that perhaps you don't yet know or don't know very well. Maybe somebody in the church, maybe somebody from another culture that you invite round and celebrate who they are or somebody from down your street and just find uh, a fresh way uh, to do that. Um, I came across uh, this. Um, for those from the the Caribbean part of the world will know about this. This is a, a, a pastime called liming. Okay, liming is an interesting thing. This is um, a guy called James Ingram. And um, he says this, he says, as I was growing up in the Caribbean, food was always important. 
I soon learned that getting together to do nothing but eat, drink, and socialize, liming, was vital to our community and way of life. This was never more evident than on excursions to the seaside. Only Caribs would get up at ridiculous times of the morning, board sweaty buses, and travel for hours to some of the most beautiful beaches in the world, only to sit in a hall or a banqueting table and eat food together. Um, he says it wasn't actually the food that made it worth missing the beaches. It was the preparation, it was the making it, it was the sharing it together. This was the time for talking, for remembering, for reminiscing, for laughing, sometimes shedding tears and reflecting on life. And over time, I realized that coming together around food could often do more to heal wounds than any words or actions could. Many who came on these trips were going through challenging times, but whatever the situation, people who came looked different on the way home. I could see it on their faces. Their loads had been lightened because they'd been able to give and open something of themselves so that they're preparing and the eating of a meal. Liming is not just about eating, it is about sharing who and how you are. And it's a lovely, lovely picture for those of you know. I can see Lois. Uh, is that something you're familiar with? Not particularly. Well, there we go. This is James's experience. So we come to the second verse of this psalm. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Um, and in the modern world, that might seem a bit weird. Um, perhaps if uh, beard oil on your hipster beard is, then maybe it's less unusual. Um, I prefer this kind of picture of things cascading. This is another recipe from the book uh, with the lemon sauce coming down. This is, by the way, lemon meringue pie, shoe style, deliciously light pastry stuffed with zingy lemon cream, all enrobed, enrobed in Italian meringue. I mean, that is to die for. If you want the recipe, I've got it at the end, but you've got to do it for someone else, okay? <clears throat> anyway, so back, back to the psalm, back to the beard. This, this verse, you get this cascading effect um, as it kind of goes down. Firstly, it's on the head. Then it's on the beard. Then, to clarify, it's on Aaron's beard. And then on the collar of his robe. And the uh, oil of that day was olive oil. It wasn't engine oil. Okay, It was something that they used for cooking, for uh, refreshing, uh, uh, moisturizing, oil lamps perhaps. It was a good thing that David is comparing it to. But it's not just oil. It's precious oil. Now, unity and fellowship is like precious oil. Uh, it's the same word as, as verse one in the original that, means, that says good, this good thing. Again, it gets God's stamp of approval upon it. It is precious. And it's a picture of hospitality and it's a picture of refreshing. Um, someone comes to your house and what do we do? We tend to give them a cup of tea in this culture. At the end of the service, we'll offer you refreshments. Um, but in their culture, they would offer some oil, cool oil for the head, some water for the feet. It was a way of refreshing people and welcoming people in a hospitable way um, into, into homes. Um, but it's not just the head. Okay? There's a lot of it. Okay? It runs down onto the beard. It's generous. Okay? It is pouring, pouring down here. In fact, twice it says it's running down upon the head. It's running down upon the beard. It's running down. There's that sense of direction, that movement of it comes from up there to down here, from heaven towards earth. Um, and it is a gift from God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. God pours out his blessings from heaven and they flow down 
to us. And so Christian fellowship is like oil poured on the beard and running down the beard. It is something that is precious. It is something that is refreshing. It is something that is a gift from God. And there's a generosity from God um, in the gift that he gives to us uh, in it. But it doesn't even stop there. We're only halfway through this, um, the verse. We learn that it's Aaron's head and Aaron's beard. And he was the high priest. So God required that a very special oil was prepared um, to anoint the high priest. Again, another recipe book. This time it's Exodus chapter 30. And uh, we have this starting verse 22 that it describes the recipe for this anointing oil. Um, it, it's olive oil. Uh, as it says there, and it has other things in it like myrrh and cinnamon and cassia, which is a bit like cinnamon, and calamus, which is a bit like ginger. And it was only for the priest and it was only for the sacred instruments in the temple. A special formula, special ingredients, specific amounts. It is really special stuff. It is sacred stuff. And, and that teaches us something about fellowship and what David is trying to say here and what God is trying to say, that fellowship amongst Christians should be unlike anything else we experience in the world. Okay, anything we experience outside of the church, there is something special about this. It is unique. It is sacred. It, there is a holiness uh, to it because it is fellowship that is united around the person of Jesus Christ. And Aaron, again, points us to the ultimate high priest, uh, which is Jesus himself, uh, our great high priest. And when we meet together, then Jesus should be at the center. I mean, the truth is he is at the center. We need to acknowledge that he is there. Where two or three are gathered, there, he says, I am with you always. <clears throat> so with this picture of Aaron, we also get this foreshadowing of the New Testament image of Jesus being the head and the church as the body. And so we have the Holy Spirit poured out uh, on Jesus on his, at his baptism, and then he pours out the Holy Spirit on the church um, at Pentecost. Um, and so we, we are united with Jesus as our head, and uh, we find ourselves uh, one another together. You know, as we grow closer to Jesus, we grow closer together. As a couple grow closer to Jesus, each one of them, they grow closer together. Um, and we find ourselves deeply united in Christ. So then back to the psalm again, and again it continues, and this time it flows down onto the collar of his robe. And the significance of this is seen back in Exodus 28, uh, verses 9 to, 9 to 12, where Aaron, as the high priest, used to wear this ephod, which was like a kind of... Uh, elaborate garment, priestly garment that he would wear. And it had these kind of shoulder bits. And on the shoulder bits, there were two um, stones. And on each one, there would be the six names of the tribes and the other, another six names of the tribes. So the 12 tribes of Israel were listed uh, on these stones um, on, on the shoulders. And so the oil is falling upon these. This precious, good, pleasant blessing of Christian unity and fellowship comes down uh, upon all the people of God, okay, all the people of God of that day and of this day. And so it's an invitation to come and join in in this blessing of fellowship one with another. And uh, as many know, the, the, the oil is also a picture of the spirit of God that makes this possible. God's pouring out his spirit uh, upon us. It's an anointed fellowship um, that God produces and gifts us with. And then verse three, 
Um, it says this, it is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. So Mount Zion is in the north. Um, have I got a picture? I think I do. Yeah, Google mapped it. Here we go. Mount Hermon is in the north, uh, which today is on the kind of border of Lebanon and Syria. And its southern slopes kind of go down to the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights. But it's well north of Jerusalem, as you'll see from that. Um, and it is also very high. It's, a, it's over 9,000 foot, um, 2,800 meters. It's snowy in winter. And all year round, it's pretty cool um, at night, even in the summer. And therefore, you get this very heavy dew. You get this wet, wet grass uh, of a morning. Um, and so the area stays pretty lush and green uh, throughout the summer. Mount Zion, on the other hand, is down in the south. It is, it's kind of like the highest point within Jerusalem. It's only about a quarter of the size of Mount Hermon, um, two and a half thousand feet above sea level. And in the summer, it doesn't get hardly any rain. Okay? It's a dry, hot, dusty kind of place. It doesn't get the dew that Mount Hermon gets. So Mount Hermon is this big peak in the north. Mount Zion is this minor foothill down in the south. And wouldn't it be amazing if the um, refreshment of the dew of Mount Hermon landed on Mount Zion? Okay? It would just change it for a day. Uh, and David says that's the refreshment that comes from Christian fellowship. And again, it's this picture from the high to the low, from heaven to earth. It is a gift from God, a blessing from heaven that he's celebrating here. Ephesians 4, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So although unity is a gift from God, there's an onus on us uh, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It requires us to be humble. It requires us to be patient, to be gentle, to bear with one another, to be loving, to be peace-loving. And again, the geography of Mount Hermon and Mount Zion and then being united with this Jew in this image also reminds us that, that we are one in Christ. Um, Hermon is, is big, Zion is little. There is unity from great to small, the high and the low, from the north and the south, and even the Midlands. We'll get in there. Okay, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Okay, there's not slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. James puts it like this in chapter one, verse nine. Believers in humble circumstances, okay, struggling in financially, they, they, they weren't getting jobs, those Christians who were persecuted. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position seated in heavenly places. But the rich should take pride in their low position since they will pass away like a wildflower. That God makes all things kind of one. So whatever background we come from, whatever our gender, whatever our culture, whatever our status, we are all one in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus so that we can refresh one another, so that we can encourage one another. And there is nothing like it on earth, according to this psalm. For there, the Lord bestows his blessing, or it, he commands his blessing, um, even life forevermore. God gives his blessing wherever believers live together in unity. So if you're someone who wants God's blessing in your life, if you want God's blessing in the church, in your group, in your team, in your family, in your marriage, 
then we need to live in unity. And so we need to love each other. We need to apologize to one another. We need to forgive one another and we need to reconcile where we can. But that is not something that we can do easily apart from Jesus. So it's as we focus on Jesus, the head, as we yield to the Holy Spirit within us that we can start to live like that. So yes, it is a gift from God and yet we have responsibility within it. The need to love, the need to apologize, the need to reconcile, the need to forgive and to go on forgiving. And then lastly, God says this, he will bless us even with life forevermore. The blessing of Christian fellowship and unity is a foretaste of heaven itself. Okay, it's something that goes on forever. It's not like the morning dew that evaporates with the sun, but it lasts all day through. It lasts and goes on as well. Let's pray together. Maybe the bands could come up and um, let's just bring our hearts before God. One of Jesus' prayers uh, in John 17, something that he prayed specifically for you and I some 2,000 years ago was this. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me.